Uh, today we are culminating our summer worship series. Uh, we have spent all of June and July looking at the Beatitudes or the blessings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we come to the final, the eighth Beatitude, which talks a great deal about persecution. We've seen over the summer that every Beatitude has three parts. There's the declaration of blessing, blessed are. There's the status of those who are blessed, those who are persecuted for righteousness. And there's a result of that blessing, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So our scripture lesson for the day comes from Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. As you're able, I invite you to stand as we read God's word. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. And would you please be seated. Bruce Olson grew up in Minnesota but dreamed of becoming a foreign missionary. In 1960, the 19-year-old flew to South America with $100 in his pocket. He had experienced God's call to be in ministry to the Motoloni Indian tribe that lived on the border of Colombia and Venezuela. The first time he encountered the indigenous people, he was shot in the leg with an arrow and almost died of the infection. But he persevered. And despite life-threatening illnesses and injuries, over the years he became a vital part of the indigenous people's community. And through his ministry, he established 10 health clinics, 16 agricultural programs, 8 co-op trading posts, and 12 schools. Then in 1988, a group of communist revolutionaries with the National Liberation Organization kidnapped Olson. They sentenced him to death, lined him up before a firing squad, and it was only after the guns sounded he discovered they were loaded with blanks. But during his imprisonment, he developed diverticulitis, hemorrhaged pints of blood, and almost died yet again. Nine months later, the communist guerrillas released Olson. The Montaloni Indian tribe was threatening war, and he was converting too many of the communists to Christianity. He wrote an autobiography about his life. It was made into a movie and is still used as a text for missionaries in training. Olson is 80 years old now and continues his work in South America. And in that region that he is focused upon, experts say about 70% of the indigenous people have become Christians because of his ministry. Jesus was speaking literally, not figuratively, when he said to his followers, blessed are those who are persecuted. He told his disciples, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And yet we as Christians are called to deny self, take up the cross, and follow Jesus throughout our lives. 
As we have done the Route 66 reading plan through the New Testament as a congregation, we have been in the midst of the Acts of the Apostles for the past weeks and will finish this coming week. What you have discovered is that Acts is not only the story of the first century church, it's a story of persecution. From the very beginning, the authorities persecuted the early church leaders. We read that story of Stephen being stoned to death because of his faith. Later, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and talked about all that he had gone through during his missionary journeys. Listen to a partial account. I've worked much harder, been in prison more often, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death time and again. Five times I received the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. That's quite a job description. And it's not terribly enticing to people today, but Jesus was quite clear about the cost of discipleship and following him. Tradition tells us 11 of the 12 apostles died violent deaths. And in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, the word for witness or testimony is martos, which gives us the English word martyr. Because in the New Testament, witness and martyrdom, testimony and suffering became synonymous. That to do one was to do the other. And the history of the church is a history of persecution. And we realize to this day, around the world, there are places where people suffer for no other cause than the Christian faith. But have you ever paused and asked, why? What is so offensive about the Christian faith that the world reacts so violently? Jesus taught mercy, grace, love. We've seen a portrait of the Christian disciple in the Beatitudes that that person is poor in spirit, merciful, meek, righteous, pure in heart, peacemakers. What is there about that that offends the world? The bottom line is that those who live in Christ are different from the world about them. That we are called to pledge a higher allegiance to God alone. And that we are citizens first and foremost of God's kingdom and not of any nation or land. And that puts us in conflict with the powers of this earth. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus said in John chapter 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you for myself, and that's why the world hates you. Ironically, one of the charges the Roman Empire brought against the Christian church in the first century was atheism. Now, Romans worshipped a variety of different gods and goddesses. And in the empire, for the most part, they allowed some form of religious freedom. But the patron goddess of Rome was Roma. And it was the official religion of the kingdom. And by extension, every Caesar or emperor was considered to be a god in turn. 
So if you lived in the Roman Empire, one of the requirements on an annual basis was to appear in a temple before a Roman official, stand before a bust of Caesar, burn a pinch of incense, and declare, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. And then you could leave and go worship whatever other gods you wanted to. But the Christians refused. And one of the earliest affirmations of faith we find in Scripture comes in counterpoint, which declares Jesus is Lord. And to this day, we live in a polytheistic culture that calls us to worship all sorts of different gods and goddesses and idols. And the subtle temptation is to worship God and... And that is a definition of idolatry because the moment you add and after God, you have adulterated God's worship. The one who calls us to worship with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength will not share our affections with anyone else. And that sets us apart from the world about us. Jesus, immediately following the eighth beatitude in Matthew 5, told his followers, you're the salt of the world. You're the light of the world. What is unspoken is we live as salt in a world on a salt-free diet. We live as light in a world that prefers shadows. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light is coming to the world and people will love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. And we as God's people are called to be different from those around us. But we live in 21st century America, a place that practices religious freedom, founded as one nation under God. And I must confess, as I was reading and studying for today's sermon, I felt a bit of conviction, thinking about persecution and suffering for the faith, reading Paul's list of things he had gone through. I've never been flogged never been beaten, never been stoned, shipwrecked for the faith. I have served as a pastor in the local church for 40 years, and I've gotten my unfair share of anonymous letters, some nasty emails, drunken texts, people who want to share something in anger right before I walk into the pulpit to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, over the years I've served in the church, there were some people for whatever reason just simply did not like me. I know. <laughs> What's not to like? But I'm aware that I've said and done some things, or maybe not said and done some things that have offended people. That's part of the friction of living together as the body of Jesus Christ, and sometimes that friction produces heat. But none of those things rise to the level of persecution and suffering like Jesus was talking about, like Paul recounted. So it led me to ask two questions in the sermon today. The first is this. Has our world or the church become more tolerant and tolerable? We've seen that the world reacts violently to those who are sold out for Jesus Christ. So if we are not being persecuted, what does that say about us? Because there's got to be a difference. 
There's got to be something that sets us apart as salt and light in the world that when we go from here out there, that our families ought to notice, as well as our neighbors and our coworkers and our fellow students and the waitress or waiter who waits on us at dinner this afternoon or the clerk that is at the store or people who are driving on the same road with us. Surely there must be some difference in our life that people note And if there's not, what does that say about us and what does it say about the church? Because Jesus warned about salt losing its flavor, about a light being placed under a bowl. And it's a prophetic call for all of us to stand up for Jesus Christ, to not worship God and anything else, but to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to have such a winsome faith. Such a public witness that people see Christ when they see us. And it's a constant goal that is set before us by the Holy Spirit. The second question I played around with in my head is recognizing there is worldwide persecution and suffering. And not in any way trying to compare and contrast what we're going through here to what they're going through there. Is there a more subtle form of persecution in our culture. Not with stones or with chains or with wild animals, but perhaps with peer pressure, media mockery, societal satire. I began to think about how Christians are portrayed in media. And I'd be interested in challenging you to coming up with five figures in media books, magazines, small screen, big screen, that are positively portrayed as Christians. Because most of the Christians I see on the screen, and it seems especially true for ministers, are portrayed as hypocrites, immoral, venal people who are no different from the world about them. And what the subtle temptation involved in this is, nobody wants to look and appear different. That's the subtle temptation is just to go along in order to get along. The tall nail gets hammered. Don't stand out. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. A classic book that I have quoted several times in my ministry here, and I always recommend you to put it on your reading list, C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Fictional account of a senior demon advising a younger demon how to tempt his human topic, his human subject. And there is one line in that book that always sends a chill across my soul. The older demon tells the younger one this, always remember, a little religion is better for us than no religion at all. A little religion can inoculate you against the real thing The people who are sold out for Jesus Christ will get noticed. So blessed are those who are persecuted, but there's another phrase to this, for righteousness or for righteousness sake. And as I was looking at that phrase, I called to mind a man that was in one of my first churches. And I realize this is going to sound a little bit judgmental, but I'll tell you my memory of him. He was obnoxious. He was sanctimonious. He was judgmental. He was Christian when it 
was convenient. But then I heard him stand in front of a small group one time in church, and he said this, People react negatively to me because I am proudly a Christian. I was a young pastor at the time. I didn't have the nerve to say what I thought and what I really should have said, and it was this. People are not reacting negatively to you because you're a Christian. They're reacting negatively to you because you're a jerk. You're going to suffer. Suffer for Jesus, not because of your own self-insufficiencies. Be righteous before the world. Be proud of a child of God. Be salt and light in a world that doesn't want salt and light in its life. And yet, ultimately, desperately craves what we have to proclaim. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. What is the result? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what we've seen over and again in the Beatitudes and the proclamation of blessings is there's a here and not yet quality to them. There's a present and a future promise. Because here's the reality. Not all Christian accounts are paid in this world. Some are paid in the world to come. And we do inherit God's kingdom and it bursts into our lives whenever we're seeking to do God's will and follow God's way. But there's also this future. And I love Paul's words here. He said in Romans 8, 18, I consider our present sufferings. Remember what all he said he'd gone through? I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Some of you may be familiar with the name of Clarence Jordan. was a New Testament Greek scholar who lived in South Georgia near Americus. And he wrote a paraphrase of the Bible, the New Testament at least, that was entitled the Cotton Patch Version of the Bible. It was later made into a musical. Harry Chafin wrote part of the music. If you've never seen it, it is wonderful. He also started a Christian commune called Koinonia outside of Americas, and he was one of the persons that was instrumental in the beginning of Habitat for Humanity. Jordan had absolutely no patience with pretension and ostentation. And the story is told decades ago that he was visiting a large downtown church and after his presentation, the senior pastor was taking him around for a tour of the buildings and grounds. And they got outside and the pastor pointed to the steeple and he said, do you see that cross at the very top of the steeple? That cross alone cost us $10,000. And Jordan glanced up and then back down and said to the pastor, Buddy, you got gypped. There was a time Christians could get one of those for free. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs, ours, is the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Gracious God, grant us the grace to be different, to stand out in the world about us, not in self-righteousness, but in righteousness, to be a setting for your light to so shine that others would see it within and be invited by our winsomeness of the faith to come to know you better. And when we do suffer, when subtle persecution occurs, help us to stand firm for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, and to declare without hesitation, without equivocation, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
of the cosmos. Jesus is Lord of the church. Jesus is Lord of my life. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.